0: Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's word shared in this message. Whenever we think of great works of art, we might think of uh, paintings like uh, uh, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, uh, The Last Supper, maybe uh, Michelangelo's Sculpture of David. Great works of art, right? We can think of a lot of different artists and the works they've created. But uh, the great works of art, all of them pale in consideration when you think of uh, God's uh, creation, God's masterpieces. And uh, creation is a masterpiece. So if you think about all the natural beauty God's created in this world, think about the Grand Canyon, uh, the Great Barrier Reef, Victoria Falls, Mount Everest. I mean, there are just so many beautiful places around this world. The world is just filled with, with God's beauty and his creative power. And it extends not only... Uh, in our planet, but it goes into our universe. You know, think about uh, all the places where you can see where the the Hubble telescope uh, has taken pictures and captured images of uh, places all around the universe. I mean, they just look incredible. Uh, places we've never been, but we can only view through technology. And then God's creative power, his artistry really just continues beyond uh, the earth and the heavens. It it continues on into eternity. I mean, imagine stepping into, uh, into heaven, into places God's prepared for us, and just being the first time in that wonderful creation of eternity. It'll be an incredible time. So God is an artist, and creation is his masterpiece. And the very first sentence of the Bible really kind of captures that truth in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I just love it, just a period right there. End, end of the statement, full of truth. God created the heavens and the earth. God is the artist. He is the creator and the earth and everything in it, the heavens, the earth, is his creation, his masterpiece. God created the canvas of all existence and then he creates life. He fills it with life. And on the sixth day, God creates his greatest masterpiece. So we read about this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So human beings, we are God's masterpiece. And you may look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I don't see much of a masterpiece sometimes. But tr- just believe me, God's view of you is this, you are a masterpiece, you are an art, a work of art, you are, are something that he has created with his hands, and he values you. He is a, an almighty creator. So we are human beings, but we are considered God's masterpieces. And only, only man has been created in the likeness and the image of God. Only man, only, the only creation God's created in his image, in his likeness, is man. Beyond being created in the image and the likeness of God, we have something that's distinct that sets us apart as well. And Genesis 2-7 talks about this. This distinction is this. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, or a living soul. So God created this human body from the earth. He gathers it together. You know, everything that's in this body can be found in the earth, but it's missing one key component, and that is a spirit, the breath of God, which gives us life. And we become a living being, a living creation. So God creates man on the sixth day. After God creates man on the sixth day, he kind of pauses, he rests, he surveys everything he's made, and he comes to this conclusion— Conclusion, it was very good. Genesis 131, God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. So man is God's masterpiece, created in his image, in his likeness, and with his breath, with the with spirit. So most of the masterpieces we think about that are, that are created by men, they're in museums, they're in galleries. But unlike uh, great works of art that are kept in museums or galleries, Uh, Man is different. You know, we put these wonderful works of art so they can be observed and admired. But when it comes to God's greatest creation, his masterpiece, which is us, God doesn't put us in a museum or gallery to be observed. Uh, God places us on the earth for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. So God didn't just create man, put us there and kind of, man, they're just so wonderful. They're just amazing. They're created in my image, my likeness, and just, man, I did good. I mean, I did very good. And I'm just going to kind of stay I'm going to stand back from heaven and I'm just going to watch them live. That's not God's plan and purpose for our lives. God didn't create us for that purpose. And we kind of get this this purpose revealed in scripture in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God did not create us to be gardeners either. I mean God didn't need a gardener. Remember this, before the fall of man there there's no weeds. There's no problems. He doesn't need a gardener. He doesn't need someone to tend the garden. God places man in the Garden of Eden, though, for a specific reason. So here it comes, here's where it comes in. Uh, Genesis 3, here's that purpose. This is why God places man in the Garden of Eden, created in his likeness, created in his image. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God did not create us to be robotic masterpieces. Uh, He didn't create us to be observed. And he didn't create us to be controlled. God didn't create us for any of those reasons. God created us in his image, in his likeness, with the spirit, so that we could fellowship with him. That's it. That's the main purpose. I'm not saying there's other purposes, but that's the main purpose. See, when God came into the Garden of Eden, he wasn't looking for the animals he created. He wasn't looking for the plants that he caused to grow. Uh, He didn't come to smell the flowers. God came looking for man. He came looking for Adam and Eve. And there's a reason why God came looking for Adam and Eve. There's a reason why we're created in the likeness and image of God. There's a reason why we have a spirit. There's a reason why we have a distinction from all other creation. And that distinction is this, that God wants to have a relationship with you and I. He wants to fellowship with you and I. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read about a day where God enters the Garden of Eden. And I'm sure there's many times that God had entered the Garden prior to this. But this time he finds something different. Man has hidden himself from God. So why does man hide from God on this occasion? Because this time, for the first time, man felt fear, man felt guilt, man felt shame. Why did man feel fear, guilt, and shame? Because they had disobeyed God. God's masterpiece had disobeyed him. And he knew that there was consequences. God had outlined these consequences in Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God said, if man ate the forbidden fruit, he would die. Now, death is a consequence of sin. But death is just not the death of the physical body. Death is twofold. Man dies a physical death. Yes, he will die. He didn't die immediately. We see that. Man, Adam lived on for hundreds of years. So death meant something different. There, yes, there would be a ceasing of life in this physical body. That would take place. That is a consequence, a penalty of sin. So after man sins, God shares this consequence Genesis 3, 19, for out of it, or out of the ground you were taken, for dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. So God again tells man that his his experience here in this body would cease. He would die a physical death, and his body, which was, was taken from the ground, would then be returned to the ground. So physical death, definitely a consequence of sin. But man is unique. Man is built created in the image and likeness of god man has a spirit so man has a part of him that is eternal this is not eternal it was created to be eternal but sin has has destroyed that sin has brought a consequence of death but what do you do with man's spirit because it's eternal it does not die it does not cease god spoke i mean he breathed life into this body and it's it's forever so God is holy. God is righteous. God, God cannot be in the presence of sin in that, in that close, intimate place. So what does God have to do? God has to separate that fellowship that he had with man in the garden. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So obviously man was separated from the presence of God. Here's the fact about this. That separation will continue for eternity unless we experience redemption, unless we are reconciled unto God. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile us unto God, relationally unto God. Ephesians 2.16 says this, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting death, the enmity, and reconcile. You see this in the original language. It means to, to bring back a former state of harmony. So we cannot be reconciled to God unless we repent of our sins, unless we turn to Jesus by faith, and unless we experience new birth. So Jesus came to redeem us from the penalty of our sin. Redemption means to be brought back, to be purchased, to be repurchased. So why does Jesus come? Why does he buy us back? Why does he purchase us from the penalty of our sins? Because he wants to reconcile us unto God. Relationally, he wants us to make us sons and daughters of God. That is his purpose. That's the reason why he came. Why? Because God wants fellowship with his masterpiece. God created his masterpiece in his image and likeness for the purpose of fellowship. So when I preach this and I say this phrase, and I know I use it continually— And I'll continue to use it. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. That purpose starts with fellowship with God, a relationship with God. So God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's where it begins, fellowship with God, a restoration of fellowship, a restoration of a relationship. So what is the nature of your fellowship with God? Personally, what is your personal relationship with Jesus like? Do you have a close, intimate relationship with God? God did, not send us, did God did not send Jesus into this world to have a religion. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to the, for this purpose, to reconcile us unto God, unto God, so that we have fellowship with God, just like we had with God in the Garden of Eden. So there are people who accept Jesus. They'll accept Jesus because maybe they don't want to go to hell. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why people accept Christ into their lives. Uh, maybe they, they are going through a time in their physical body. They're, they're sick and they need healed, they, they look to God for healing. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, maybe they're in a situation where their marriage just needs to be restored. They're, they're in a crisis moment, so they come to God, they, they give their lives to Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with those moments. God uses those moments for a purpose, but at the end of the day, our relationship with God cannot be based on what he does or what he'll, he'll, he promises to give. See, at the end of the day, our relationship with God has to be established on this. I want to be close to God. I understand that I was a sinner, and I was separated from God. But Jesus came to reconcile me. to I want a relationship with him. I want fellowship with God. Our relationship with God cannot be established on what God does for us. It cannot be that. God's not some spiritual Santa Claus. He wants to bless us. I understand that. There's nothing wrong with God's blessing in our lives. But at the core of why Jesus came, he came to reestablish, restore a relationship between God and man. So Christianity is not, again, just another religion. If it's just a a religion, then we've got a major problem. There's nothing satisfying out of religion. So a religion that's void of true fellowship just becomes, it just becomes empty. It becomes hollow. It becomes unsatisfactory. It becomes monotonous. It becomes religious. So Jesus saved us from the penalty of our sins, which is death, and death is more than the physical death of the body, but Death is eternal separation from God. There is a time coming when everyone will be resurrected and judged. If you're born again, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Thank God for that. But if you are not, you will stand at the great white throne. And this is what the Bible says about the great white throne in Revelation uh, 14. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is what? The second death. The second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Final death. The second death is eternal separation from God. That separation that began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where God cast them out of the presence of God. No longer enjoying that fellowship will continue unless we repent, unless we are born again. But that's not God's purpose for us. God's purpose for us is to be reconciled to him, to enjoy a relationship with him. So God does not want his masterpiece Eternally separated from his presence and it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what you've done It doesn't matter what you've done with someone else God's plan for you is fellowship a restoration of a relationship I think there's a story in the bible that really captures that truth It's important for us to understand because again god is no respecter of persons Meaning this that he wants everyone to come to to, uh, Repentance and relationship with him. It's not just certain people It's everyone. God's desire is for all to come. And again, I think there's a story in the Bible that really captures this in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So, tax collectors, as we understand throughout the Bible, they're not very popular people. So tax collectors were Jews who worked for Rome, collecting taxes from other Jewish people. And this was a tactic Rome would use. He would, they would take people from the, that they had conquered, and they would employ them. So the tax collector was paid by Rome to collect money from other Jews, taking money out of, out of your countrymen's pocket, giving some of that to Rome, and keeping a kickback for yourself. No problem with that. You were, they were paid to extort people. So the tax collector had no conscience, usually, little or no conscience, because what kind of person would do that? What kind of person would, beco- would work for the, a nation who had just conquered you and then begin to tax people, your own fellow countrymen? So they have little to no conscience. They're willing to take money from their countrymen, give that money to Rome, keep some for themselves. So they're not popular people. So Luke chapter 19, verse 3, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. For he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And I would even change this. Not just a center, but probably the biggest center in the community. The worst of the worst. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. Meaning this, he was good at taking your money. He was a chief tax collector. Good at extorting money. Had become wealthy. Become wealthy uh, at the cost of other people. So he, Zacchaeus had all this money. He could have all the money that someone wanted want at this time. But this is something that he didn't have. And we know this by virtue of the culture. He didn't have any meaningful relationships. Why? He's, he's despised. A tax collector would have been cut off from his own family. Why? We don't, we don't want to be associated with our own child because of the scorn and the ridicule we'll receive. I mean, it was a very difficult position. You would put your family and friends in a difficult position. How could you defend such a despicable person? I mean, we could put it into this category. I know it's hard for us to understand, but rapists and child molesters, and in those days, tax collectors, just vile human beings. So tax collectors were outcasts, and their relationships that they did have were very superficial. Here's why. They had money, but they didn't have real friendships. The friendships that they had were basically people who were, who were parasites who were attracted to that money. So their relationships would be with other tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, thieves. This would have been the people that tax collectors associated with. So when Jesus was entertained in the house of Zacchaeus, it would have been confusing to Jews if this man was truly from God. If this man is truly the Messiah, why on earth would he go into the home of a tax collector? Why would, why would such a holy person go into the home of such a despicable person? So church, there are people like Zacchaeus all over our community. All over our community. People who've chosen a path of sin, like you and I, but they've stayed on that path of sin. In fact, they've stayed on that path so long that it's continued to bring them down further and further morally. And there are some of them in very dark and shameful places. The scorn and rejection they receive from others, what does it do? It only fuels their need to go deeper into sin. Why? Because they look for peace. They look for solace. They look for acceptance. They look for something. They can't find it. So what do they do? They turn to the only thing they have left, and that's their addictions. That's their sin. Only a life-giving relationship with Jesus can fill that void. Jesus is what they need. And look at Jesus. He'll he'll associate with anyone. I know that's even hard for us to really understand. But listen, he just doesn't pick the good ones. He doesn't pick the ones who have everything all together. Salvation is offered to all. All. Everyone. Everyone is is invited to the family of God. Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was. No doubt about it. He's a tax collector. He might even tax them a few times. Jesus' fame would have, would have preceded him. This is, this is pretty far into his ministry. So there's a reason why he wants to get up into a tree and see this man. There's a reason why he wants to put his eyes on him. Because, you know, at that time he knows this. Here's a man coming. This is the man who raises the dead, heals the sick, forgives men of their sins. And he wants to lay his eyes on this man. So when Zacchaeus climbs into the tree, what is he looking for? He's looking for Jesus. He's looking for hope. He's looking for something to fill that void. Look how Zacchaeus reacts when Jesus says, I'm going to come to your home. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to come and dine with you. I'm going to come and fellowship with you. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Look what Jesus said to them. Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. He is part of the family of God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's an incredible story, isn't it? It's a story of repentance. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of restoration. And this is what salvation is all about. So the tax collector, once cut off from the family of God, from the community of Israel, is now a son of Abraham, renewed, restored. Zacchaeus encounters the love and the acceptance of Jesus, and that encounter leads to genuine repentance. Look, Lord, anything I've stolen or taken from someone, I will restore to them fourfold. So Jesus came to seek and save those who were separated from God. And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. Jesus came to reconcile us unto God. Jesus, seeing Zacchaeus' change of heart, proclaims this salvation has come to this home. Is it, is it because of what he said? No, it's because what follows that. His heartfelt repentance is shown is what he'll, he's willing to do. I'm willing to restore fourfold. Fourfold. This man once lost in sin has been found. He's redeemed. He's reconciled as a son of Abraham. It's a wonderful picture. Zacchaeus was some lost artwork. He was a lost masterpiece. He was a masterpiece that was lost in this world. And Jesus finds him and restores him. But a woman named Terry Horton uh, bought what she thought to be uh, a huge, ugly painting. She bought it for $5 as a gag gift to cheer up a friend. Though the friend found the thrift shop find hilarious, she had no room for it. So Horton was forced to take it back home. So she tried to unload the painting at a garage sale. But a a local art teacher came to the art cell and she told her that, you know what, you should check this out to make sure this painting is not a Jackson Pollock. And Horton ultimately hired a forensic specialist who found a fingerprint from the famed, he's a, a, a splatter paint artist, but he found his fingerprint and they were able to trace the paint back to his studio. So what was going to be willing to be sold for $5 or less is now worth $9 million, See, we may not feel like we have that value. We may not feel like we're a valued masterpiece, but make no mistake, you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've done it with. In God's eyes, you are priceless. He will pay any price necessary to redeem you, to restore you. So, why would God pay any price to redeem us? Why would God repay any price to restore us? Why would Jesus come and give his life for our sins? Because he wants a restored relationship, he wants fellowship with us. So, if you've experienced redemption, you're like one of these stories. You were some artwork. You were once valued, you were created, you, you were amazing, but somewhere along time you've been kind of just forgotten. Forgotten, maybe given to someone, someone else received it, given again. It's like, I don't want this picture. And you end up in a thrift shop. You end up on the shelf. But Jesus finds you. He finds you ripped. He finds you torn. He finds you tattered. He finds you dirty. He finds you forgotten. Jesus finds you in your darkest moment, damaged by sin and by the sinfulness of this world. Jesus finds you on the shelf. You are God's masterpiece. He spots you a mile away. God's masterpiece. A far cry from what you were intended to be, but still God's masterpiece. Up on the shelf. Jesus knows this. If I could buy that person back, if I could get them back, I could restore them. I I can restore them to their original purpose, their intention. Jesus goes to the store owner. How much? How much for this this masterpiece? How much for this forgotten masterpiece? Jesus explains that, you know, I'm the one who created this. I'm the one who made this. It, It was beautiful. I could restore it. How much for this masterpiece? The store owner is very easy to pick out. He's Satan. He's Satan. The store is the world. How much to purchase this masterpiece? What's Satan's reply? I know this is a story, but it puts it in good perspective. Everything. Everything you got. Everything. You want that? Everything. Because it's mine. It belongs to me. If you want that masterpiece, what you call a masterpiece, if you want that torn, tattered, nasty picture, it's going to cost you everything. Every bit of you. Your life for, for their life. See, I believe this. Even if, and Jesus has paid that payment for all of us. Salvation is available to anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. But I believe this. Even if it was just one of us. One of us. If one of us was, had fallen away. Just one person in human history had fallen away. If it's you, if you fell away, only you. Only you are God's lost masterpiece. He would still go to the store, buy you, and purchase you with his blood. He would still give his life for you. Why? Because you are God's masterpiece. God created you for a plan, for a purpose, and that purpose is fellowship. God loves you so much, he wants to be close to you. I've been referring to you as a masterpiece, or I'm referring to us as masterpieces throughout this message because of this verse. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Look at this. So that we could do the things he planned for us long ago God's got a plan and a purpose for our lives That plan and purpose can only be discovered in Christ Jesus A relationship with him God is the artist We are his workmanship We are his masterpiece And we have been created for a purpose That purpose, one of those purposes is fellowship I mean listen, God doesn't God, God doesn't save us For reasons of what we do What we do is important We have skills, we have gifts We have talents, we have callings uh, the Holy Spirit will anoint us and use us, but when it comes down to it, God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to be in close relationship with you. That's His plan for your life. God created you and I for a purpose. Only in Christ Jesus can we discover that purpose. Only in Christ Jesus can we have life-giving experience. Only in Jesus can we have life-receiving experience. Can only in Christ can you have the fullness of God's plan for your life. We are God's masterpiece. A work of outstanding artistry, skill, or workmanship. Sin sought to destroy God's masterpiece, but Jesus came to save and to restore us to the plans and purposes of God. That plan, again, begins with fellowship. Are you experiencing God's plan and purpose for your life? Are you experiencing true fellowship? So I, I don't know that we understand what that really even means in our, in our world, because we understand, a lot of, we understand break, uh, relationships from a broken point of view. And sometimes we may have a hard time with relationships because of that broken point of view. Our perspective may be a little skewed. See, God's got a relationship plan for you and I, a fellowship, a close, intimate relationship that is so pure and so fulfilling. Are we experiencing that fellowship with God? I think our American mindset sometimes works against us. I think sometimes when it comes to God and his word and his purposes, I think sometimes we act as this, and I really, and I, I say this with all due respect, but I think there are times where we handle our relationship with God like this, I'm doing you a favor. Now, we probably won't verbalize it that way, but that is sometimes our actions. Our actions speak louder than our words. And so we almost put God in this position like, you know, I'm doing you a favor by being in the church today because I could be doing a lot of other things. I'm doing you a favor by tithing or I'm, I'm doing you a favor by serving and ministering. See, it's this, you get to worship God. You get to come to church. You get to exalt him. You get to pray to him. You get to be in fellowship with him. It's not that you have to or you're doing him a favor. He redeemed you. You were going down the path of the world, down the wrong direction. He came and found you. You didn't find Jesus. None of us found Jesus. He found you and I. He came looking for us. He found us on that shelf, discarded, forgotten. Jesus found us in our sin, doing life our way, which never ends up good, does it? Doing life our way on our terms. He finds us in that position of death and separation. What does he do? He redeems us. He redeems us and reconciles us unto God. Jesus did not save us from our sins so that we can live the life that we want on our own terms. And yet I believe this is the kind of the, the underlying statement of, of American Christianity. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to be free from my sins. I'm going to get a relationship with God, but I'm going to go out and do life how I want, and I'm just going to ask God to bless me. Where's the surrender in that? Where where is the I'm giving my life a living sacrifice in that? And it's just not there. The, the, The fellowship of God is missing. That intimate relationship that we were called to live and to experience is missing. Jesus did not redeem us to be part of a religion. Jesus redeemed us to be in fellowship with him, to be in close, intimate contact with him. I cannot neglect this most basic aspect of salvation. It's fellowship with God. We think of, of, say, of salvation as truly one-dimensional. I'm going to have my sins forgiven. But salvation is so much more than having our sins forgiven. It's the being restored to God. It's reconciled to God. It's reconciled, restored to his purposes, reconciled to him relationally. See, many of us are experiencing our plan for our life, and we, again, we want God to come and just bless us. Just bless me, God, so that I can do life my way and still go to heaven. But this is the reality we're missing in that mindset. Please hear this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Look at these words. You are not your own. You don't belong to you. You gave your life to Jesus. He saved you. Now do we have buyers remorse? Do we really want to go back down the path we were going? But I think sometimes we want our cake and our ice cream, too. and It just doesn't work that way. You were bought at a price, verse 20. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor him with your life. Honor him with everything that you have. God created you, first and foremost, for the purpose of fellowship. Are you fulfilling that? Are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you experiencing that purpose? See, Jesus paid way too heavy of a price for us not to experience this. It's available to all of us. It's not just available to people who are called in ministry. It's available to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. If you come to Christ and you're born again, you should experience that close, intimate relationship with God, fellowship with Him. Again, Jesus paid way too heavy of a price for us just to have religion. So are we willing to fulfill this aspect of God's plan for our lives? Because believe it or not, the only thing that hinders us from experiencing this is us. We ourselves. See, we can serve and give all that we have. We can die a martyr preaching for Jesus. But if we neglect fellowship with God, we neglect the purpose of our existence. God, listen, Mary and Martha, perfect example, right? Martha's not doing the wrong thing. She's busy, right? She's, she's preparing. She's getting, why, why is it she helping me? Jesus is trying to show us there's nothing wrong with helping, serving, giving. L- nothing wrong with that. But Jesus wants a relationship. He's like, listen, just put the pots, the pans down, come in here and just spend time with me. Fellowship. So we can do everything in the name of Jesus, but we can still miss the purpose. What will Jesus say? We see this throughout Scripture. I mean, think of these words. We, we give our lives to him. We serve, we serve, we serve. And then him to say this, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Well, you know my name. Well, of course I know your name, but I don't know you and you don't know me. Wouldn't that be a shame to hear those words? To give everything that we've got in the name of Jesus, but to really not truly experience his presence, his relationship with him, fellowship with him, intimacy with him? Let me ask this. When's the last time you were fully present with Jesus? Fully present. sitting down. I'm going to read my devotions. Oh, my mind's somewhere else. Now, when, when's the last time you were fully present with him? Hey, listen, try this in your marriage. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You'll not have a successful marriage, right? So when was the last time you came to God with no agenda? You simply just came to love on him, to listen to him, to be close to him. Not to love him from afar, but to, for near, I'm just going to put aside. You said, well, I just don't have time. Then You don't have time for God. Well, I, I got to sleep. Well, why don't you get up 10 minutes early? If, if, that's, if the only time you can do is 10 minutes early and you have to go to the bathroom at 4 in the morning, then you need to do that. Spend time with him. It's, it's part of your purpose. Again, Jesus didn't save you as some robot. He didn't save you as, for a religion. He saved you to be involved in a relationship, fellowship with him. We're missing the entire point if we don't entertain that, if we don't be involved in a relationship with him. When's the last time you opened your Bible to hear from God? Rather than, I'm going to study and I'm going to prove something. But when's the last time you just said, no agendas, God, just speak to me. Speak to me. I need to hear your voice. I need to hear what you're saying to me. What are you speaking to me? And again, I'm not talking about hearing what we want to hear, just hearing from God, listening to it. And maybe that might be that we just, and I know this is uncomfortable for us as Pentecostals, uncomfortable for Western Pentecostals, and sit quietly before God. I mean, think about this. How many times throughout the Word of God we just see those pause, those moments, silence, meditation. I'm not talking about some weird mystic thing. I'm talking about meditating on God, His Word, His presence, who He is. Just taking time. Imagine, go into your living room and before you even open your Bible, just take, I mean, in, it could be in the dark of the morning, everything, and no one's up, and just sit there for five or ten minutes and just listen. Just listen to God. God doesn't speak to me because we don't Listen. Because we bombard him with all kinds of stuff, and we're talking to him, and we just never shut our mouths. Communication is two-way. Prayer, a conversation with God, is not a monologue, or, you know, it's a dialogue. So when is the last time you heard the voice of God speaking to you? When is the last time God spoke to you out of his word, and whatever he said to you resonated with you throughout the entire day? So when is the last time you got into the presence of God without any cares, any worries, any thoughts about the day, what you're going through, and you just simply worshipped Him? Hands lifted to Him. Worshiping Him. When's the last time you got into His presence and you didn't complain, you didn't talk about what was wrong in this world, and you just considered what was right between you and God? Church, we were created as God's masterpieces. Created in the image of likeness of God to fulfill a purpose, that purpose first and foremost, is fellowship. God created me to be a son. God didn't create me to be a pastor. That's not my purpose. If that's my purpose, then then I'm missing God's purpose. That might be my purpose, but that's not God's purpose. God's purpose is this. I have a ministering purpose. He anoints me, he uses me, he gifts me, but that's not my purpose for being. My purpose for being is to be with God, to be his son, to be in fellowship with him. What's a great picture that we can look at in Scripture? We're doing our own thing. Yeah, we might even be doing the right thing. But are we fulfilling a purpose? Are we fulfilling the purpose? I think a great picture we get is in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. I find that isn't new birth, if that isn't being born again, I don't know what is. And you know this, God is continually working, shaping, and molding us into his image and into his likeness. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter, not the clay. To the potter. Jesus did not shed his blood to give you a better life. Jesus did not redeem us. He did not redeem us to, to live a better life. No, he redeemed us to be in relationship with him. Jesus took us out of this world. This world was shaping us, molding us, into image, its image, its likeness for its plans, for its purposes. And Jesus does this. He takes us. He buys us back. He purchases us back. He puts us back on the wheel, and he begins to reshape our lives. Why? For his plans and his purposes. Jesus is the potter, we are the clay. He's the artist, we are the masterpiece. Jesus is shaping us for a specific purpose. And that purpose, again, is fellowship. Are we experiencing true fellowship with him? When's the last time you spent meaningful quality time with Christ? When's the last time you allowed yourselves to be clay in his hands? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Hold Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.